Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What? Today we've got Oliver Scherenberg on and he works within licensing, legal, media and NFTs. Hi Oliver. Hey, good to see you or not see you but talk to you. Hi <laughs> Good to talk to you as well Oliver. <laughs> um, we're really excited to have you on because I think your industry and your background is, is actually a really interesting space and I don't think many people know about the licensing and that kind of, that kind of world of, uh, of legal and media. So do you want to tell everyone a bit about what you do Oliver? Sure, absolutely. I'd love to share that. So I am an, uh, an attorney, so an intellectual property licensing specialist, if you so want. Um, I went through law school in Germany. I studied in France for a year. I did my PhD in licensing and bankruptcy laws, uh, where I compared the German and the US perspective of, uh, of intellectual property licensing in uh, bankruptcy cases. So what I do is working as an attorney in my own law firm. I was with a big law firm before, with a smaller one later, and then I created my own firm maybe seven years ago. And uh, my clients are from different areas of technology, for example, when I do patent licensing. So I have uh, patent licensing companies, I have technology companies. It is trademark licensing, for example, brands like the WWF, the Worldwide Fund for Nature. Um, or copyright or name right or image right licensing. These are more the creative people, artists, celebrities, uh, actors, uh, and all of that. And that last part also um, got me into the Web3 space and Web3 space, what that is, I'll explain that in a second. Sure. So was this always something you wanted to go into, maybe? Or was it something you kind of just grew into? I think law as such has been something I... I grew into. To be honest, when I was a kid, no one in my family was an attorney, so I didn't really know what the law was at all. Uh, so there are a lot of engineers in my family and uh, less creative people, much more of, yeah, as I say, mechanical engineers or architects or things like that. Um, and I have one older brother who is a uh, who went into economics, uh, and my father and grandfather and uncle and all of that, the engineers. So I thought I don't want to compete with my brother and I don't want to try to step in someone's uh, footsteps and become an engineer myself. So basically the only things left were to become a, uh, uh, like a, uh, uh, a doctor, a medical doctor for mm -hmm. me or an attorney. These were the only professions I really knew. And unfortunately I was not introduced to many creative professions that I know today. Probably I would have not become an attorney if I knew them all. <laughs> <laughs> so and then going further into your, your legal career what made you choose licensing um i think after a year or two in law school um i figured out that it's all very abstract so you need to have a high level of uh um well of skills to to come up with constructions legal constructions and understand things that are just on paper or in your mind um and what I like very much when I was first introduced to intellectual property law is that you have something you can see, you can feel, you can even smell. So it's a piece of art or it's a creation or it's a patent, something that you can really grasp. So it's something more physical or something more practical. And I mean, if that is the law uh, uh, that I that I wanted to focus on, it was uh, only logical that I wanted to monetize whatever you can do with that asset as well. So. If you are an intellectual property attorney, you're either on the infringement side, so you're the litigator, or you're on the constructive side of monetizing, and that brings you into licensing. And that has fascinated me ever since I first was uh, 
in touch with that um, during my first internship, I think in my like second or third year of law school. And I focused on that ever since. Back then it was the so-called new media, which is today the old media, so the internet. <laughs> it was <laughs> social media and, and even the, like e-commerce and before that. Um, and now it's, I think, just, again, the new media, if you so want. It's always been creative stuff and the then current new media. And new media right now for me would be the metaverse, NFTs, and blockchain technologies. Mm. I mean, I could be completely wrong because I'm very, I, I don't really understand this world. I'm you know, obviously not part of it. But since the age of social media and thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of new content creators have sort of started to make things on the internet, has licensing and that whole law space around it grown? Because I am assuming maybe more people are infringing on copyrights and sort of licenses maybe with the content they're making. I'm trying to, I guess I'm trying to say, have you seen the space grow because more people are using more different types of media and things like that? Yes, very, very much. At least it, I have seen it change over time. Um, let's say when I started um, being interested in monetizing intellectual property assets, it was patents, trademarks, and copyrights. And copyrighted material was typically there is an actor, they do a movie, and the movie is then it goes to the cinema first, then you have a DVD or, or, or something like that, and then it goes to the television. That was kind of it. Uh, or you have a VHS uh, video, uh, like the cassette or something that uh, the recording uh, back in the very early days. Um, and then all of that kind of changed and developed into different sorts of media that are now also interesting. Uh, the same movement with social media. Um, I think content creators, they just added a layer of entertainment to the existing intellectual property portfolios. So they create their own stuff. First of all, they are the creators. So they are the owners of the copyrighted stuff that they produce. On the other hand, they also use copyrighted materials. For example, they play video games and stream it, or they watch movies and have watch parties, or they use someone else's content indeed, and then we're in the infringement case. So indeed, every new uh, media um, creates not only new consumers, but also new forms of intellectual property and also new scope of licensing. Mm, interesting. Um, so I just want to go back a little bit to um, your time at university and then and then law school. Now, we've had quite a few people that work within law come on the show. And it's fair to say that most people, I mean, you have to go to law school, right? There's no way of going. You have to go to university and then you have to go to law school. There's no other real routes into this. Is that fair to say? Or have you got different experiences? Um, in Germany, at least, typically you start uh, with law school. So directly when you come out of high school, you, you directly go to university and at university you log into the law school, so to say. So we, mm -hmm. we do not have a, a general university time before that, but your first day in university is at law school, if you so want. Um, so at least in Germany, back in the time when I was a law student, um, we had about four years of, uh, of, of law school, of university. Uh, and then you have your first very big exam that you have to take. So it's it's two weeks of um, uh, of, of big exams, five hours each in different uh, uh, different topics. Uh, and then you have a an oral exam later. Uh, and after that, you have another two years of uh, of different sorts of internships. So you go to the administration, uh, to work for the government, work for the judge, for the prosecutor, and you work for an attorney. 
And after these two years of training, you have another big exam and only these two big exams, so the first state exam and the second state exam, qualify you to become an attorney. The funny thing is even you are trained, at least in Germany, to become a judge, not an attorney. So it, back in time, the entire education um, was aiming at the students becoming not attorneys, which 90% of them became, but judges who were like maybe only two to 5% of the law students can become judges because you have to be very good and you have to uh, be willing to work um, for, for very low salary. So it's, it's a bit absurd. But indeed, there is no or there has been no other way around going through law school in the traditional way. Now, the only thing you could do is to study law somewhere else and come to Germany and have your international um, uh, degree accepted here and transferred into you becoming admitted also to the German bar. But otherwise, mm. you would really have to go through law school. You, uh, you mentioned a, a moment ago things like um, watch parties and um, gamings, games being streamed and that. And um, it's, it's a world I'm, I'm quite interested in because I, I see things happen where, for instance, watch parties or people streaming certain games. And then like two weeks later, you hear all over Twitter they've been banned or it's been a bad way to come out. But how quick is the actual industry actually changing things that um, – they want to sort of protect themselves against um is it quite like an overnight light or someone's abusing what we own um how can we protect ourselves better um or is it quite a slow methodical process i think um it is it is always um necessary that you are detected when you're doing something wrong so at least in germany we have a saying you probably have something like that if there is no there will be no judge if there is no plaintiff um, which means um, if, if you don't do anything wrong, you will never be pursued. If you do something wrong and you will not get caught, it's the same thing. So it's just when you do something wrong and someone who has the right to tell you that you're not supposed to do that catches you, then you will be in trouble. Uh, so if you, if you live stream to an audience, it's pretty obvious that someone may notice if you stream someone else's content without their permission. Um, which means if you do a watch party, for example, if you show in your live stream just content that that is copyrighted and every content is copyrighted, so you probably should really be very careful about that, then you either have to go through a platform which allows you to do the watch party. And that, for example, as far as I know, if you do it on Twitch and you use Amazon, because as far as I know, they are part of Amazon, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so... They, a certain um, you can share part of your uh, of your Amazon content with your Twitch audience to a certain extent. As far as I know, I'm not a full expert, but that's that's how far I know watch parties work. But it would certainly not work that you said you put on a, the TV and just live stream the TV, um, whatever is on, or you live stream someone else's content which is not through Amazon. That would simply be a copyright infringement, which means. If you want to do stuff using someone else's content, you always have to be mindful. Um, and if you're on a platform that does not support that, like outside of Twitch, I would imagine it's more problematic, um, then well, then better not do it because you probably will, will be caught sooner or later. And what would you say are maybe three key skill sets that somebody thinking of going into your industry would need? Hmm. Um, my industry being intellectual property licensing, I would mm -hmm. assume. Um, yes. I think 
a certain interest in technology would be very helpful. A certain interest in also communication is probably something useful. And, and I would even say uh, an abstract desire of wanting to help people get things right. But that's probably for every true for every, at least for every attorney who does contract drafting. Um, one thing that I like very much about being an attorney on the on the transactional side is that you typically don't have to solve disputes uh, right away, but you have to anticipate that people may be in trouble later and you want to anticipate the solution for the dispute they may have or they may want to avoid in the future. So most of the time, it's a very constructive approach you can have. So people who want to become negotiators or or Contract drafters need a certain creativity, but also a certain sense of um, well, wanting to find compromises for people. And on the same vein, what would be some key personality traits that you think um, can really help someone succeed in this industry? Sorry, can you go again, please? I didn't. Get some uh, personality traits. Personality um, traits. I'm sorry. Yes. Well, personality traits. Mm, let's say if you want to negotiate, if you want to be in a room with people um, to defend interests or to fight for interests, um, I think it makes sense that you have a certain well, outgoing uh, characteristic uh, type of personality. Um, I think it is useful that you can listen to people and listen to what they want, what they need to be able to represent them properly. But it's also important to speak up when you think you you have to disagree with something. Um, so people who are hiding behind the bushes too much may not be in the best position to be negotiators, I think. Um, and people who are not interested in the technology and the development of new industries are probably also not very well suited to to become well, an attorney, at least with a developing skill set in new industries. Let's talk a bit about the NFT space because we mentioned it at the beginning. You've you've become sort of fascinated with this whole Web three NFT space. How did you get into it, and and what are you doing within the space? Yeah, um, I became well. I was introduced to it first by a friend, I think five years ago or so, um, who is um, a an IT specialist and a strategic advisor um, for for many IT companies or companies with an IP uh, IT focus. Um, and she told me something about um, people who wanted to trade expensive wines and expensive wines typically are taken out of the box, brought to an auction, sold at the auction, transported to another country, put in the cellar, removed from the cellar, taken to the next auction, which is terrible for wine. Um, so what she said and what she developed for this uh, one customer was um, a possibility of trading these wines without taking the wine out of the best environment suitable for that expensive wine, which is a cellar at the right temperature. Um, so she developed a substitute for the physical asset, which is a digital asset, the non-fungible token, identifying one individual piece of property, in this case, the bottle of wine. Uh, and that later became the idea of the NFT of the digital asset as well. And that completely fascinated me because I thought, Having a, an ownership representation on an immutable uh, uh, chain, like on the blockchain, um, that was something that I haven't heard before. And it did solve quite a lot of uh, other issues that I had in mind. And therefore, when I saw the NFT space, so the, the non-fungible token space, 
um, as we know it today with the digital items, with the digital artworks, uh, picture projects, artwork projects. When I saw that develop, uh, especially last year, I thought that might be something I should dive into uh, much deeper. I started investing a little bit and I also had uh, clients that started asking questions about it. And the more the questions came, the more I wanted to know, because obviously if you are an attorney and cannot answer questions that your clients have, they will go somewhere else. <laughs> that uh, uh, and that that doesn't make sense. So uh, everything I told you before about fast being fascinated about new technologies um, and seeing something that you can license came together. So for me, it was just a natural development to well to dig deep into the the Web three space, the NFT space, blockchain, also metaverse applications, uh, and that is how I started. While, uh, while smarting myself up, uh, having connections and then having client relations and also speaking, writing and talking about it. I'm fascinated by this whole space, but that wine NFT thing sounds absolutely brilliant. Is it, do you know if that's still, is that still a product or if that's still, still going? To be honest, I don't know because um, while, while this, uh, this lady is still a friend of mine, uh, we have actually never spoken about that project anymore and i don't even know whether it, it was flying I'm, I'm pretty sure that something like that um is what well, came to the market later but i would really have to dig into it. now you make me interested in it again <laughs> i will it's, dig it out yeah it's fascinating but as this world grows i guess there's going to be a whole new like we spoke previously and you said you know the internet was a whole new wash of media that that made sort of licensing fresh and, and there was lots to do in it. I guess Web3 is going to be even bigger, right? There's going to be an even more need for licensing and, and, and that kind of expertise, I guess. I would, I would assume so, yes. Um, at this stage where we are right now, this entire, well, let's say blockchain is not in the early stage anymore. Blockchain is already something that is relatively mature, but the use cases that come with new blockchains uh, with with this special Ethereum blockchain, which is the most popular one that introduced not only uh, tokens as a, as a currency, but tokens as something that is connected to a so-called smart contract, where you can have self-executing commands that you predetermine. So if A happens, then B happens automatically, and you can determine that. So you may not need in, in transactions where you typically have several parties and an intermediary, uh, you don't need that intermediary anymore. Um, you, you will be able to have transactions uh, very transparent, very, uh, very fluid and at a very high pace uh, at a certain extent. And that will be repeating um, uh, while well, you, you will be able to repeat transactions um, in a way that you could not do that today. You will have new use cases and it will be very important um, how to license that in the future. Today, most of the intellectual property is copyright and trademark, a little bit of patent as well. But the future use cases will bring a lot of more challenges, especially also when it comes to privacy law, to regulatory law um, and to other things that you want to license, not only copyrighted material. And what would you say has been the biggest positive that you've taken so far out of your career? Something you've gone, wow, I can't believe I've done that or been involved with that. Or just, you know, maybe it's something you've got great satisfaction from doing your job. I think um, it depends very much on, uh, <laughs> on the client that you work for. So clients can be very fascinating. Um, for me, one of my favorite clients, I have to say, is the Worldwide Fund for Nature. So this environmental organization, I, I 
worked a lot with them here in Germany, especially when it comes to licensing and co-branding the Panda logo. So for example, if you have a supermarket chain and they want to become more sustainable in what they do and have more sustainable products, and they fulfill a certain catalog of requirements, then they may get as a reward, so to say, the Panda logo that they can put on the milk carton, for example. Wow. Um, and through that time working with WWF, it, it has I have been involved in so many absolutely fascinating projects. But to be honest, it's more the project that was fascinating than the legal aspect. Um, I have other clients where it's the other way around, where the client is absolutely not fascinating because um, you may question <laughs> what they're doing, but the legal stuff that they're doing is super groundbreaking and very exciting. So you can, you sometimes have to balance uh, whether you are doing it for the fun, for the project, or for the legal stuff and for the enthusiasm about complicated legal structures. But mm-hmm. I like it. I like it all, and I like that it's. Um, well, it's a very colorful profession, I think. Um, you can deal with other people's problems and try to solve them. Um, I, I think that's that's a pretty cool description of what attorneys should be doing. And well, I, I'm rather fascinated by that. Yeah. For you, though, um, having worked in this industry, what are some of the biggest challenges you've um, you found working within it? Mm, the challenges could be that it is very difficult to find people to work for you, to be quite honest. It is hard to find young attorneys that are um, that are also in the same way fascinated uh, as you are or as I am. Um, there has been quite a shift in what attorneys expect from their job or probably everyone expected from their job. Um, and it also takes a while to understand that um, so the the husband-wife thing is different than 30 years ago. The the man-woman thing is different than 30 years ago. The the job uh, and and uh, leisure time uh, is different than a couple of years ago. And and all of that makes it, from from my per- perception, more difficult to find people that uh, want to do the same stuff you want to do. And it sounds almost a bit weird because I think that we, we can offer super interesting environments we can offer a lot of flexibility in the job um but but some some attorneys still accept um people to work around the clock to work for uh, over the weekend to be available all the time and it's just developed i mean i've, I've been in the in the legal industry now for almost 20 years altogether um, and if you see the development back then when i was a young attorney it was absolutely impossible to take the time off because you uh, your kid was born. It was really that you simply wouldn't do that. It would harm your career. And today it is absolutely logical that everyone does that. And if they don't do it, you almost have to force them to do it because they should. And still it's not easy to find uh, people who want to work for you. Maybe that's that's a problem of small law firms more than, than bigger law firms. But I've heard about that um, from other people as well. Um, you mentioned earlier it's kind of difficult to find young people that want to go into the industry. But when you are looking for someone to hire, what are some key qualities you're actually looking for in those people? Yeah, um, so I've tried for about a year now to find people. And I've I've gone through every route that I could imagine. I've posted several um, job alerts on LinkedIn where I have a couple of thousand followers. So I thought that might attract people. I, I even went the very traditional style and had print advertising in some legal journals 
Um, I had newspaper ads. Uh, I spoke on conferences and and really was not shy of saying, hey, anyone in here who who is looking for a job, <laughs> I need an associate. Um, and it simply has not worked. And I'm not sure why that is the case if people if there were simply no lawyers around, which is possible, or whether I haven't found the right words to address people. So what I said is what I wanted is I want people who are not necessarily the best in their class, but they are interested. I don't necessarily want people who are pushing pens, but they're, they should be eager to learn. I don't want people who work around the clock, but I want you to be to have fun in life and to be a responsible person also in the environment and also for society. And what I really want you to do is to, to spend time with your family. So I know, for example, that that kids, I think in Germany, they have 16 weeks of school holidays, something like that, 16 or 18 weeks. And I know in other countries, it's even more. Um, so I think it would only make sense that you should take the entire time off whenever your kids are on holidays. Um, why should you not spend time with your kids? I mean, how does it work? Typically, you have a couple of weeks for the husband and a couple of weeks for the uh, for the mother. Uh, or for the mother and the father, and the rest of the time the kids are in some camps or they're home alone or they're with the grandparents or the neighbors or whatever. So I thought that was quite an attractive um, job description and still I haven't found anyone. So I said, I know I understand you can take up to 20 weeks off every year because that is probably what your your kids should be uh, the time off. Yeah, and still oh, hasn't worked. What Oliver, is going we, on? What's we're both happening? not we're both not lawyers, but we will come and work for you. If you we like. don't have kids either. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you don't qualify for the job. <laughs> no, but it's really funny. So, um, to, but to, to be to be quite honest again, I really think that people should have a very balanced work life approach. Um, I, I would expect people to spend time with their family, to spend time with things they are interested in like their own hobbies, their sports, whatever it is, society, obviously just not for themselves. Um, yeah, and still hard to find the, the, the people. How interesting. Would you uh, still go into this industry knowing everything you know now? Absolutely, <laughs> I would. But maybe I would come from the other side. I would, rather, I would probably rather come from the creative side and not from the legal side. Well, Oliver, it's been a genuine pleasure chatting to you this evening. Um, thank you so much for coming on and uh, telling everyone your story. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really a pleasure talking to you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Oliver. Uh, where can people find you, um, maybe, uh, even your um, your uh, company and uh, any yeah. job roles you've got going? <laughs> job offer. So um, my law firm is called Scherenberg Legal and Licensing. And Scherenberg is hard to spell, but maybe you, you will find it somewhere. Uh, they can contact me on, on the webpage of our law firm or especially also on LinkedIn, where I'm rather active. And that's also the only social media that I'm using. So it's Oliver Scherenberg on LinkedIn or it's webfreelex.io, which is the platform that we run for legal information about Web3. Brilliant. Thanks, Oliver. Absolutely.